Hello and welcome to Hell No, a true crime podcast with your host, Lauren Lucio. Whew, okay, I've just been down a rabbit hole of skincare regime videos. I had to pull myself out of that. I ended up buying a few products I probably don't even need. But thank you to all my listeners out there. We have hit 3,000 plays this week. So thank you, thank you, thank you for that. Hell no is growing. And it's all thanks to everybody recommending the podcast, rating it on Spotify, and just being awesome. So thank you for supporting the pod. We are now on week three of the Halloween specials. October, it's... It's just not long enough. This week, I'm going to be talking about urban legends, spooky, creepy urban legends, and their origins. You know I love a good origin story. But not only urban legends, I'm also going to be talking about some common sayings, things we say every day that have dark origins. So again, a bit of a history lesson, but don't worry, it's not going to be boring. I promise. Before we get into it, I have to tell you something spooky that happened the night I finished recording last week's Halloween special episode. After recording, I went into my living room to watch some scary stuff, specifically Sam and Colby's ghost hunting channel on YouTube. For some reason, I just, I can't get enough of it. In their episodes, they were going to haunted places like they do to talk to ghosts like they do. And as per usual, They're telling the ghosts to use the camera equipment to draw energy so that they can communicate. And eventually I fell asleep watching this channel of ghost hunters. I woke up at exactly 1 a.m., not 101, not 12.59, exactly 1 o'clock. I woke up, I looked at my phone, it said 1 o'clock. And I remember thinking, oh, that's weird. Wow, it's exactly 1 o'clock. So I shut off my TV. I told my dog it's bedtime because I got to tell her that because she likes to follow me into bed. She doesn't go to bed until I go to bed. So I said, come on, Cedar, it's bedtime. She follows me into the room. All of that took maybe 30 seconds. I get into bed and I cannot pull any blankets over me because my partner has them all like tangled up around him so I went oh and I I jumped back up out of bed I walked past my office where my laptop was off but it was open I walked past my office I walk into the living room the entire house was dark I grab a blanket from the living room and start walking back to my bedroom past my office and as I'm walking past and no fucking lie my laptop turned on I stopped for a second and I looked at it. I didn't go into my office. I just continued back to my bed and I laid down and I can see my hallway uh, because I left my door open, my bedroom door open, and I can see the light coming from my laptop lighting up the outside of my room in the hallway. I thought, oh shit, that's crazy. And uh, I'll make sure to check that tomorrow. And I fell asleep with ease. I was like, okay, good night. I wake up the next day. The first thing I think about is my laptop. I go into my office, I turn on my laptop and look for the last updates done. And boom, there it is. Last update, 1.01 a.m. No more updates needed. That's what it told me. I'm thinking, well, good. I mean, that's logical, right? That's the first thing I thought. Maybe it just did an automatic update. But then I keep thinking about it. I have never seen that happen before. 
But then again, I never leave my laptop open and my office door is usually shut because I don't want my dog getting in here and I don't know, chewing wires or doing whatever. So I think, well, automatic updates, they do happen when the computer knows when you're least active on it. And my mind has eased a little bit. And, but then again, I think, why did it happen? The exact moment I walked past at 101 a.m. Why didn't it happen at one o'clock or 115 or 130 or two? No, it happened the exact moment I walked past my office in a dark house, laptop open and office door open. And also this was the first time in years I couldn't pull the blankets off of my partner and get them over me. Like this isn't common practice. It's not as if he always has the blankets entangled and I can never wrangle them from him. This is not common practice at all. I don't can't even remember the last time I've had to go find a separate blanket because I couldn't get the blankets. I don't know. I don't know. It, it was all just spooky. Maybe it's because I'm watching all the ghost hunter shows. My mind is just kind of seeing what it wants. I don't know. But I should say the last owners of the home I live in, the home I rent, they did die while living here. I'm not sure if they died in the home, but they did spend their last days here and they did raise their family here and they did live here for, I think it was like 40 years, 40 plus years. And it is a cool house. So I get why they want to hang out here. Plus they get to listen to true crime stuff all the time. So why not? When my laptop turned on that night, I didn't feel scared or creeped out. I felt calm, like eerily comfortable with it. And if it was a spirit, I'm not saying, I mean, it could have been an automatic update. I'm just saying if it was a spirit that turned on my laptop, then it was a friendly one saying hello, for sure. I didn't feel any sinister dark vibes. Again, I think I'm just watching too many ghost hunter YouTube videos and my mind is seeing what it wants. I don't know, but I'm strongly considering buying a spirit box to try to talk to any spirits that might be here. Let me know if you think that's a bad idea or a good idea. I also want to take it to a nearby cemetery. I don't know. I think I'm getting, I'm getting, uh, I'm getting out of my depth here, but I just have these urges to take spirit boxes around and see what I can get on them. I don't know. I guess I want to be a ghost hunter. Uh, and what I find crazy is that it happened after watching the ghost hunting videos where on those videos, they explain to spirits how to draw energy. So were, were the ghosts in my house watching as well? And they were like, oh shit, I can draw energy from our laptop and make it turn on and do shit. I don't know. I don't know. So what do you think? Spirit or just crazily timed automatic update coincidence. Mm, I'm unsure. DM me if you know anything about spirits and ghosts. DM me on the Hell No, a True Crime podcast. Instagram, if there's a connection here I'm not seeing, I've just told you all the information of what went down. If there's something I'm not seeing here with times or whatever, I don't know, maybe I'm not piecing it together. Let me know. DM me. Forget about that though. Let's jump into this week's Halloween special. The first thing I'm going to be talking about today is a classic urban legend. I'm sure you have all heard of this one. The Hitchhiking Ghost Girl. I love this urban legend so much. The story goes like this. The story goes like this. 
there's a man driving home on a dark rainy night. He's on the highway and he sees a teenage girl hitchhiking so he stops to pick her up and she gets in the back seat. They chat a little. She takes off her soaking wet sweater and places it on the seat beside her. The guy asks her where he can drop her off at and she tells him she is on her way home and gives him the address to her parents' house. They drive in silence for a while and he is concentrating on the wet, treacherous roads. It's raining, it's not good conditions, so he is just focusing on the road ahead of him. He pulls onto her street and stops at her house. He turns around to say goodbye. When he looks, nobody's in the back seat. He thinks maybe she jumped out and I didn't notice as the rain was pouring down and he was focused on the the house numbers. He wasn't sure. So the next day he discovers that the girl's sweater is in the backseat of his car and he decided to bring the sweater back to the girl as he doesn't live far from her and he knows where he dropped her off. He knows where she lives. The man drives back to the address he was at the night before and walks up to the door with the sweater in his hand. He knocks on the door and an elderly woman answers. The man tells the woman he gave a young girl a ride to this address last night, but she left her sweater in his car. He then reaches out his hand holding the sweater thinking the woman would take it and say thank you. But instead, the woman's eyes widen and she begins to cry. The man is confused and asks her what's wrong. And the woman responds, that's my daughter's sweater. She's been dead for 30 years. Oh, that is maximum spooky. This urban legend actually has a backstory and I just told it the way I remember it but then I did some research on it. The origin of this story is from Jamestown, North Carolina and there's different variations of this. According to mediums.com these are the details. A ghost woman named Lydia haunts an overpass of a railroad bridge. Railroad bridge? That's where it's kind of hard to say. Anyways, Lydia haunts an overpass of a railroad bridge on Main Street in Jamestown. On foggy, rainy nights, passers going by believe she is real and stop to pick her up as she is seen standing by the road or walking. She is wearing all white and can sometimes be seen flagging down motorists for help. Legend has it that around 1920, the year 1920, Lydia died in a car accident on that bridge on a rainy night, and it's said she was with a young man. I gathered that the two were possibly on a date heading to a school dance when they were killed in the accident, and that's why she's wearing that white dress. Some people say she is looking for a ride home. Others say she is looking for a ride to the dance because she never got to go. The first sighting of Lydia was in 1924 by a man named Burke Hardison. You don't hear many Burks these days, do you? Why not though? It's a strong name. I love that name. 
Burke Hardison. Legend has it that Burke was flagged down by this woman in white and this version is a bit different to the one I've heard and doesn't involve a sweater. This version is that Burke drove the woman home and being a gentleman he got out of the car to open the door for her but when he opened the door no one was there and she had vanished. Again, he's a gentleman and he wanted to make sure she got inside, okay, because he's thinking she must have ran out of the car when he got out or something and he goes to the door and he knocks a woman answers the door and he said he just gave her daughter a ride home and just wanted to check she got inside okay and the mother says what my daughter died last year in a car accident by the bridge so again few different uh variations all of them very spooky uh, but they all have basically the same gist. Someone, uh, some, a motorist picked up, picks up a woman on the side of the road on a rainy night, drives her home. Eventually they go to the door. The woman answers the door and says, there's no way my daughter's dead. So June 21st, 1920, a woman named Annie Jackson was killed in an automobile accident around that area when the roads were wet with rain and the car flipped, throwing Annie out of the car to her death. And it is believed that this is most likely the ghost that haunts the road. Why she was later called Lydia, I'm unsure of. The bridge is still there, but it's no longer in use. So ghost hunters go see what you can find. Go visit this bridge in Jamestown, North Carolina and bring a spirit box and for sure let me know how that goes. The next urban legend, I'm sure you know as well, when you were a child, let me just ask you this, when you were a child, did you ever cram you and all your friends into the bathroom at night and turn off the lights then all chant Bloody Mary three times into the mirror? Hmm? Well, I did and that shit was scary scary as fuck but who the hell is mary and why is she so bloody and why has she been scaring children for many many years my research on this was quite underwhelming and i never really got a concrete answer but here's what i did learn a lot of people believe it's queen mary the first from the year 1553 apparently queen mary was not very nice in fact she was responsible for over 300 people being burned at the stake just for not practicing her religion. Uh, yikes, bitch. Not cool, Mary. Oh God, she's gonna come haunt me now. So Queen Mary desperately wanted a child and died at the age of 43 from suspected ovarian cancer. As just before her death, she told everyone she was pregnant, but no baby was ever birthed or even carried in her body. They found no evidence of a, a baby there. It's said that she had had a phantom pregnancy where her brain desperately wanted to believe she was pregnant and she showed symptoms of it or it could have possibly been symptoms of ovarian cancer. And this is why some people, they they don't just say Bloody Mary in this urban legend, but they say something like, Bloody Mary, I have your baby. And they'll say that three times in a row and she will come to get you for taking her baby she thinks maybe in her spirit afterlife she thinks that maybe somebody took her baby maybe it wasn't a phantom pregnancy either way that's terrifying 
and sad, terrifying and sad. Other legends say that Bloody Mary was a young girl that was murdered horrifically and now for some reason bullies anyone who summons her because I guess she's traumatized and pissed off. There is a scientific answer for people seeing scary things in the mirror after summoning her. The room isn't supposed to be completely dark. That's how I used to do it as a, as a child with my cousins and sister and friends. And we used to have the room completely dark. And I remember just the darkness would freak us out. And there'd always be that one joker, that one jokester that would like pull your hair and be like, I didn't do it. I just had a thought. What if he actually wasn't being a jokester? And what if my hair was actually getting pulled by her? <gasps> I just always thought it was the rebel of the group playing tricks. Maybe it wasn't. So anyways, the room isn't supposed to be totally dark. Okay, I just need, I just need a moment. I'm just, I just had an epiphany that maybe a ghost did pull my damn hair. No, forget it. Okay, let's move on. Moving on. We used to have the room completely dark and just imagining a bloodied ghost coming out of the mirror and touching us, that was basically just letting our own imaginations take over and that's what really led us to screaming and running out of the bathroom. It was still a good time. It was a good time. But what you're supposed to do is bring a candle in with you, a completely dark room lit by one candle, so very dimly lit. A study shows that when your brain is computing the image of your own face in a dimly lit room in the mirror, after a certain amount of time, about five to 10 minutes, uh, your brain can't recognize the features it's seeing because there's all these shadows over it, it's really dim lighting, and if you just stare, straight into your own eyes in the mirror, you have these hallucinations and your brain just tries to fill in these gaps that it can't really compute because your brain, it wants to figure out what's going on. So it starts creating things that aren't there, like black eyes that grow big and small or a mangled face or a face of someone you know or did know or even a monster or really aging faces. Some people report seeing their grandparents. Some people report seeing demons. Some people report seeing themselves at 90 years old. Just there's a lot of different things people hallucinate when they do this. And this is because our brains are constantly trying to understand what we are seeing. And then you couple that with a scary story before you do it. And you got a recipe for your own brain to play tricks on you. Don't believe me? Well, give it a try. Light a candle at nighttime, go to your bathroom mirror, any mirror in a dark room, shut off the lights, close the door, and stare into the mirror for 10 minutes. And it is most likely you will see haunting images. Guess what? For this podcast episode, I tried it. I tried it immediately. I was like, what? Hallucinations just from looking at myself in a mirror in a dimly lit room. I gotta try this. And let me tell you, I saw my eyes go huge and black, like some kind of alien demon. My face started to look like a totally different shape and sag like I was 90 years old. And that was only after less than a minute. So I couldn't imagine staring at it at my own face in a dimly lit room for 10 minutes because after a minute I was like, whoa, this is creepy. And if I'm ever looking to get creeped out, I'm going to come back and do this again. Oh, I should do it at my Halloween party. 
oh, I'm going to have people do it at my Halloween party. Hell yes. Okay. So I didn't find too much about Bloody Mary, but uh, that experiment, it is uh, weirdly terrifying. Weirdly terrifying. The next urban legend I'm going to talk about is why the fuck most hotels don't have a 13th floor, even if the building is way over 13 floors. You may have noticed in some hotels, the elevator buttons will go from 12 to 14 or 12 to 12A, then to 14 and 13, it doesn't exist. This is absolutely true in some hotels. So why is the number 13 taboo specifically in hotels? The number 13 is widely known to be unlucky and hotels researched this and found that a small percentage of people wouldn't feel comfortable taking an elevator up to the 13th floor and then staying in a room on that floor because it's basically a superstitious thing. In 1885, tall buildings weren't typically built over 12 stories high because the builders wouldn't do it, saying it would cause problems. They said it would lower property value due to the shadow it would cast below and partly because they were superstitious and probably thought it would fall or collapse because it's cursed or something because it's over 13 floors or is 13 floors. I'm not sure. But why the number 13? Where does this come from? The origin of 13 being an unlucky number could stem from religion. Judas was the 13th disciple to Jesus. And apparently he wasn't very good and did some betraying to the son of God as Judas was paid to rat out Jesus's whereabouts. And it led to Jesus's, Jesus's, Jesus's. Jesus's crucifixion. And so people think that because of that, 13 is unlucky. Jesus? Jesus's. Am I, is that, why does that not sound right? Okay, anyways, I thought there was 12 disciples, but I don't know anything about the Bible. I just learned this while researching the origin of the superstition about 13 being an unlucky number. So, mm hmm. This brings us to why Friday the 13th is known as an unlucky day and kind of the same thing. It said Jesus was crucified on a Friday and his 13th disciple, Judas, who betrayed him, was the 13th disciple. So crucified on Friday. That also explains the horror movie Friday the 13th. I mean, for the name, not not the plot, very different plots. But it wasn't until the 19th century that people became weary of this date. I guess before then, nobody had really thought about it or put the two together. Not sure. Other countries have days like this. But instead of it being Friday the 13th, it's Tuesday the 13th in Greece. And in Italy, it's Friday the 17th. Interesting. China has a similar superstition, but not for the number 13 but for the number four. And it's possible to jump into an elevator in China and not see any floor numbers ending in four. And that's because in Mandarin, the word four sounds a lot like the word death. And that I found very interesting. That And that one, it makes a lot of sense. And there is no need to trace that origin back, I guess. It just, it speaks for itself. I'd imagine their hotel floors going like this, going from three to five (laughs) or three A to five 
or 13 to 15 and so on like that because it can't even end in a four not 24 not 34 I don't know how tall buildings get in China but yeah nothing with a four this then got me looking at common sayings with dark origins and the term saved by the bell came up a lot when I hear the saying saved by the bell I think of the 80s tv show where uh the high school bell saves Zach Morris from getting in trouble uh, but actually Saved by the Bell comes from the 18th and 19th century when people were buried alive. So this took a very dark turn in my mind very fast. That's right. I said buried alive. I know what you're thinking. How and where did this expression come from if it's based around this horrifying buried alive thing? Well, Embalming wasn't common practice and some people would appear dead when actually their pulse would just be very weak and they would be unconscious or comatose or whatever and doctors or whoever was pronouncing them dead would misread the situation and the person would be buried alive, unconscious, then wake up and try to claw their way out of their grave. First of all, how fast did they move on burying bodies back then i mean it makes sense because disease was running rampant and medicine was in very early days but walk me through that scenario like doctor does a house call on a sleeping man and says oh he's dead then an hour later he's buried alive then he wakes up from his nap and finds himself in a coffin underground what the fuck Eventually, they realized this was happening. I think they opened a tomb or something and found that a man had attempted to crawl out and there were scratch marks on the coffin. I couldn't really find a valid... Mm, I couldn't really find a valid source on this, so I can only speculate that they found a coffin with scratch marks on it or this man had like half crawled out of his tomb and then like died. But I was like, oh shit, um, that's scary. And and everyone was like, when they heard about this scratched coffin or whatever, everyone was like, oh shit, he wasn't dead? And people started to get really worried they would be buried alive. And I mean, who could blame them? That is, that is not cool. So to ease people's minds, they told everyone, okay, if you're that worried about being buried alive, we will fit out graves w- with a bell. We'll fit out coffins with with a bell the bell is above ground and it is connected to a string that runs through a tube in the ground and then into the coffin and the other end of the string is tied to the finger of the person that they had just buried that way if if that person wakes up in the coffin underground they just have to move their finger and the security guards will hear the bell ringing and dig you up so problem solved right just relax guys we got bells now we got bells now just relax even if look even if we do bury you alive you'll be fine you just ring this bell oh my god yikes oh but also yes that's right it was someone's job to walk around the cemetery and listen for these death bells to go off how haunting would that sound be i'm gonna see if i can find like an audio clip of these what these bells would sound like and if i find it i'm gonna put it right here 
Imagine this. Close your eyes and imagine this. It's midnight. It's dark. It's a cold night. The fog rolls in. Full moon lighting up the tombstones. You're sitting by a tree, just waiting for your scary-ass shift to end. In the distance, you hear, ding, ding. You stand up, hoping it's your imagination. But it happens again. So you walk to the other side of the cemetery, and there you hear it again, even closer and louder. You look over and see the bell swinging back and forth. Ding, ding, ding. Now you have to dig up this fresh grave and open a casket to reveal a living person who has been buried alive. Fucking hell, that is so scary. That should be listed as like one of the most scariest jobs in the world. Also, that person, they're going to be pissed off that they've been buried alive. Okay, imagine you dig the coffin up, you get the lid off, When you lift the lid off, you expect to see somebody who's mad as hell. They've been buried alive. But what if you didn't? What if the person was dead, but somehow a rat had crawled through the tube of this safety bell and is gnawing on the dead person's finger, pulling on the string? Oh, just there's so many terrible scenarios that I'm thinking of that could play out with this and it's it's scary and um yeah that is where the term saved by the bell comes from the more you know am I right I did find many sources saying that um the saying didn't actually come from what they call safety coffins that's right that was the name of these coffins fitted out with bells if you got buried alive safety coffins Uh, but it's actually a term that came from boxing but hey this is a Halloween episode both make sense because if a boxer is losing a round in a fight they just have to make it to the bell for the round to be over therefore being saved by the bell another saying I found that had a dark origin story is the term happy as punch How on earth could that be morbid, you ask? Well, I asked the exact same thing. I thought, I don't know, fruit punch is delicious and when I drink it, I'm not mad about it. But oh no, 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 check this out. Actually, hold on. First, I gotta say, I don't know if this is, if fruit punch is actually known worldwide because I've lived in the country that I live in for quite a while now. I can't say I've ever seen a lot of fruit punch, but I never thought about it. And then maybe a couple months ago, I was having drinks with my friends and we were having amaretto sours. We were making them at my house. And then it got like late at night and I kind of like started running out of ingredients. So I just started pouring vodka and gin and all this other stuff into a cup and I tasted it. I was like, oh shit, this tastes like fruit punch. And my friends go, what's fruit punch? My mind was actually blown. Same thing happened About a year ago, two years ago, I was talking about getting a hamster. No, this would have been like three years ago. And I was telling people, yeah, I really want to get a hamster. And they all kept saying, what's that? Like a guinea pig? And I was thinking, what the fuck? It was like some kind of like time warp matrix. Everybody I asked, nobody knew what a hamster was. So then I looked it up and it turns out in the country I live in, you have to have an exotic 
animal license to have a hamster here. Anyways, that just blew my mind. Back to the term happy as punch. Let me paint you a picture with this one. It's the 16th century, you live in Italy, and you want your kids to enjoy a puppet show. So you take them to see Punch and Judy. It's a puppet show. After all, people are raving about this puppet show. You sit your kid down and join the other parents in the back or wherever they sit. And when the show starts, you see the two puppets named Punch and Judy appear. But Punch, he has a sinister hobby that makes him very happy. And that hobby is killing people. That's right. The saying comes from a puppet who gets really happy when he kills people. And it's a children's puppet show. Imagine that show today. Well, as a kid's show, I mean, actually, we do have shows like that today, but they're usually horror movies or documentaries about Dahmer or Bundy. Back then, that was kid stuff. If that was kid stuff, then what the hell was adult content? What? <laughs> what was what is classed as rated R in the 16th century? I don't know. So next time you say, I'm happy as punch, you're happy as a puppet that loved killing people. Yikes. Those sayings have an ancient origin, but let's talk about an urban legend that stems from modern day, the 1960s. This is perhaps one of the most haunting to me, and every time I hear it, I get chills up my spine. This one is usually referred to as the call is coming from inside the house. Oh, you know the one. You know what I'm going to about to say here. A young girl is babysitting. The children are asleep upstairs. The house is calm and quiet when all of a sudden the phone rings. The young girl answers the phone, thinking it's the parents of the children calling to check in, but instead it's a strange man asking her in a sinister voice if she's checked on the children lately. The babysitter hangs up the phone, runs upstairs, checks on the children, and they are sleeping safe in bed. The babysitter is freaked out, but has a suspicion it's just a prank. She goes back downstairs and the phone rings again. On the other end, it's the same man asking the same question and she hangs up again, but he keeps calling and calling until eventually she's so freaked out. The girls, the girl calls police and the police seem to be concerned and they tell her, Hey, we will check this out and call you back. When the police call her back, they tell her you need to get out of the house immediately because the call is coming from inside the house. Whew, I just got chills. Even me retelling this urban legend gives me chills. If I was this babysitter, then your children are toast because I'm gonna get my own damn ass out of there. If he wanted the kids, he would have taken them already. No, no, this seems like a trap to lure the babysitter upstairs or it's a trap to get her to run outside. I don't know. And I guess that's part of the horror. In a variation of this urban legend, the man has already 
killed the children and placed them in their beds as if they are asleep. And when she checks on them, they were already dead. But that is just so fucking dark. I'm going to stick with the version that I just said first. So is this urban legend based on a true story? Yes. Yes, it actually fucking is. The urban legend became well-known in the 1960s, but the reality it's based on happened in 1950. 13-year-old Jeanette Christman was babysitting a three-year-old boy named Gregory Romack on a March evening in Missouri. This was the 1950s, and the father, Ed Romack, thought the babysitter should have access to a rifle, so he left it by the door in case she needed it. Could you imagine? A grown-ass man hands a 13-year-old girl a rifle and leaves her alone with his child and is like, if anyone tries anything, shoot to kill. P.S. Sodas in the fridge, drink as much as you want. So he leaves this gun by the door and when him and his wife leave, it's just totally normal to do this, I guess. They're like, there's your gun and we'll see you around one. I wish Jeanette would have known she was going to need that gun that night but unfortunately evil can appear in the faces we know police get a call later that night at 10 35 and they hear a girl begging for them to come help her but then the phone cuts out and there was no way for police to know that the call was coming from the romax home so nobody was ever sent there 1.30 a.m., the Romax come home, and when they open the door, they are met with a grisly scene. It was so gruesome that I will give a trigger warning for sexual assault right now. They open the door and find a massive pool of blood and Jeanette dead. She had been raped and strangled to death. The porch light was on and she wasn't able to use the gun on her attacker Also, the phone line had been torn out of the wall. And to me, this paints a picture of what might have happened. Someone knocks on the door. So she turns on the light to see who it is. Since it's possibly someone she knows, she opens the door and is attacked. She somehow gets away or closes the door on the man and calls 911. But the attacker gets in and rips the cord from the wall cutting off her call for help. The attacker then beat her, raped her, and strangled her. Jeanette's injuries were horrific, and it was clear a struggle had happened. They do have a theory on who the attacker was, but unfortunately, they were never brought to justice, and whoever did this lived the rest of their life free. What's the theory of who did it, you ask? Well, a man named Robert Mueller was suspected by Jeanette's family for a few reasons. Jeanette also babysat for this man and he had allegedly told Ed Romack that he was attracted to Jeanette as him and Ed, they knew each other. They were friends. Also, Robert had asked Jeanette to babysit his children that night, and Jeanette had told him that she was already booked babysitting Ed's child. Robert knew she would be there and that she would be alone. He also most likely knew where the Romax would be and for how long. Robert Mueller was never charged or sentenced for the murder and died in 2006, a free-ass man. 
In a weird confession, Robert told Ed he may have killed Jeanette and just not remembered. Like, man, okay, this looks even more crazy because how many fucking girls have you killed if you just stop remembering killing them? It's not like he could say he was blackout drunk because he would have trouble standing and walking, let alone attacking, raping, and murdering someone who has a gun. Ed's wife, Miss Romack, said that Robert had groped her previously and he gave off per and he gave off really creepy energy. So we can just see from this what kind of man he was, just from this statement alone. He's just going around groping his friend's wives and telling his friend that he's attracted to his 13-year-old babysitter. I, mm-mm, no, uh-uh, don't like any of that. The three-year-old boy who slept upstairs, uh, Gregory Romack, he was unharmed, meaning the only target that night was Jeanette. I wish Jeanette would have shot her attacker, that dirty sleazebag monster, right in the dirty dick. Not only is this the origin story of the urban legend, but also in 1979, a movie made when a stranger calls was made. And in 1978, the Halloween movie was made and they are based around this murder because it was so horrifying. Now I'm going to talk about a very recent true story that I'm sure is going to turn into an urban legend eventually. Maybe in 20, 30 years, this will be an urban legend and you can trace it back to this origin. So this happened in 2019 in Missouri, just like the last story we just talked about. And I actually had no idea these cases happened in the same state before writing this episode. 2019 Missouri, 37-year-old Adam Smith's mother passes away from lung cancer. He had moved back in with his mother a while before she had passed away to care for her as she was just very, very ill. And on July 21st, 2019, she died. The man was obviously saddened that he had just lost his mother, but also he needed to pack up the home and do all the necessary things one does after their close family member dies. He's packing up her belongings the week that his mother passed away so not long after she had died when he remembers something a mystery for all the 37 years he has been alive there has been a mystery box in the freezer he was never allowed to open he was reminded of this mystery when he opened the freezer uh, while he was cleaning wondering if his mother had actually hid money in the box or something else in it. So he, he just had to open it. He had to figure out what was in this box that had been off limits to him for his entire life. His mother had always told him it was a topper of a wedding cake and it was very sentimental to her and there's no reason for him or anyone else to ever open it and risk breaking it or whatever her reasons were and he never did. Neither did his sister. But now that his mother has passed on, the rule no longer applies and he can finally see what's in the box. Finally see this glorious wedding cake top he had never been allowed to feast his eyes on, but a feast it was not. Adam opens the end of the box and he can't believe what he thinks he's seeing. So he reaches inside and touches a foot, a little tiny 
frozen foot. I will put a trigger warning here as this is very hard to hear. He is so confused and shocked and can't believe what he's just touched. So he pulls on the foot as to hopefully find it's something else, not what he's thinking it is, but his fears were legit. As he pulled on the foot, a pink blanket comes with it and unravels the frozen corpse of a full-term baby girl with a full head of hair. Adam called police immediately and an investigation took place. To this day, the autopsy has not been finalized. It's, this happened in 2019. It's now 2022. There's been no finalized autopsy report. This is still an active investigation, I guess, if, if the coroner hasn't stated a cause of death because the death is still unknown they don't know if the baby was stillborn or died of crib death but there seems to be absolutely no record of birth of this baby but adam he digs for answers and he estimates the baby has been in the freezer for 47 years Adam discovered through 23andMe that he has two sisters that were given up for adoption before he was born and the sisters were adopted separately and they were 10 years apart in birth from each other. Adam himself had never taken part in the in the 23andMe. It was actually his aunt's daughter who did and discovered Adam's lost sisters. They were half sisters as they had different fathers but the same mother. Once Adam's half-sister knew who her mother was, she googled her name and found the story of the baby in the freezer, which is not the nicest thing to read about your birth mother whom you have never met. And also very terrifying because that's the same woman who gave birth to you. Adam recalls when he was a little boy, his mother being sad one day and he asked her, what's wrong? And she told him that it would have been her firstborn's 21st birthday that day. Jennifer, she called her. It was discovered that Adam's mother had been pregnant seven times. One was a miscarriage and one was stillborn. Four survived. But if that baby in the freezer was a stillborn, why was it in the freezer? Adam's mother did grow up in a very religious home and she would have been very young. I think they said 20 or possibly younger. So maybe like 18, 17, 18 years old in a strict home. Possibly she became pregnant, hid the pregnancy, uh, gave birth in the bathroom or somewhere private and uh, who knows. Or Maybe that baby was a stillborn and she didn't tell anybody and it was a hidden pregnancy. I'm not sure because where is that record of the stillborn coming from? How do they know that? I just have so many questions. Had she had more than one stillbirth? Adam grew up with one of his sisters. Then he learned about the other two a week before his mother died, actually. He says his mother was a secretive woman and uh, he just wants to know more about his baby sister he found in the freezer. You could just imagine all the questions he has. Adam connected with one of his long lost sisters and this is really awesome because they got along so well and they still are in communication today and they're friends. I love that. But uh, my goodness, that's a hell of a story. He thinks he knows his life and his mother 
and then she dies and all of a sudden he has so many unanswered questions he can never ask her about but I really hope he finds all the answers he's looking for because I cannot imagine that that is easy and in an interview with the news he's talking about uh, making the discovery and you can see he's absolutely distraught when he gets to the when uh when he gets to the part where he's talking about opening the box and what he finds inside you can just see that he is so shook and it's just something that's going to haunt him for the rest of his life over the next few decades i'm sure an urban legend will come to life being based on this story it went global and people from around the world wanted answers as to why this little baby girl had spent 47 years in a box in the freezer by the way they had moved about four times and every time they moved that box in the freezer moved with them if there's ever an update on this story, I will for sure cover it in more depth. It just feels like there, there's never going to be closure on this. It sounds like they can't really determine a cause of death. So I'm not sure. We covered a lot of topics in this week's episode. And I feel like we really learned a lot. Like don't pick up a hitchhiking spirit because she will ghost you. And the term happy as punch originates from a serial killing puppet. Also, it was someone's damn job to walk around a cemetery and dig up people who were buried alive. Although I will say I never found an instance where the bell actually went off and they had to be dug up. So either they perfected their method to tell when someone was dead or the bell idea didn't work, which is even more haunting than it working. That concludes this week's episode and be sure to join me next week for the Halloween Extra Special where I will be reading your submitted spooky stories. If you don't hear yours read next week, then depending on how many submissions I get, I might do a bonus extra episode on Halloween. It, it depends on uh, when you submitted the story because I'm going to record it soon and I told everyone the cutoff date was the 23rd so I might have some last minute submissions in which case I will I will do a bonus extra 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 special Halloween special and release that on Halloween. Don't forget to follow rate and review this podcast on whatever platform you are streaming from. Seriously, if you're on Spotify, please do it right now. Hit that follow button and also the stars. Just, you know, tap those five stars uh, in the follow button. It really helps my podcast grow. If you are on Apple Podcast, I would love a review and a rating from you. And you can always follow Hell No, a true crime podcast on Instagram to see photos and get notified when a new episode is released. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Bye.